God sent his son for me. He sent his son for me. Amen.
Good morning. Merry Christmas. Jesus is alive. A lot of people want to say contrary to that, don't they? But we, we of God's people, we know. If you're a visitor, uh, my name is Pastor Bill. Uh, I'm kind of new here. If you're new here, we got that in common. Uh, the people here are pretty friendly. They're nice. Uh, I want to say this to you. And uh, before I start, and I would be amiss not to say this. Uh, we've done a lot of this in our life. The last church we were at, I uh, helped a guy. I was uh, a friend of mine. I was uh, doing college ministry in the region, training campus pastors. And uh, they had lost their youth pastor. My daughter was a part of that church. So I said, he said, I need a youth pastor. I said, I'll do it. Well, I didn't want the youth group to grow, but it did. And... Uh, we ended up with about 150 or 200 kids. It was, uh, and plus the other responsibilities is a lot. Because I don't know if you know this, young people need attention sometimes. Anyway, uh, so uh, surprise. But that church uh, did not treat my wife well. And uh, I want to thank you for doing that to her. It means a lot to me. Because I'll tell you what, whether you know it or not, I know uh, a lot of you know this. A pastor's wife is a hard job sometimes. She's a good one, so thank you for treating her well. And not to have a sad note, let's go on. Uh, turn to Matthew, the second chapter. So uh, I don't know if you like doing this, but <laughs> I like stopping and looking in nativity scenes. Because there are some good ones. So my sister-in-law sent me a photograph of one where uh, it was all doors. Who's home? I mean, you know, it was great. But I mean, it, I thought, I really thought baby Jesus would be there and not a door. He is the door, but I don't know if everybody got that message. So I was driving around a couple weeks ago, and this is a good one. So I had the regular characters, the shepherds and the wise men, of course, both are in Matthew and Luke's story, and we combine them in the nativity scene. So then you have baby Jesus, which is important to have him there, Joe. It really is. I want you to know it's just important to have baby Jesus there. And then Mary and Joseph are there. And then you have the camel and the cow, and they had a rooster. Yippee. It's, they're born in the barn, which is probably born in the lower part of a house, the house the Mediterranean or the Middle Eastern house had two levels. Jesus, probably not room in the top, room in the bottom. So he stayed where they usually had the cattle. That's the theory of most scholars. So they had two things that remarkably brought the Bible together. A grizzly bear was watching over baby Jesus and they had a koala bear. So the miracle is that Noah had time during the flood to go to North America, drop off the grizzly bear, go to Australia, drop off the koala bear, and there you have it, the miracle of the flood and creation and Jesus. I thought, that is amazing. Hope everybody ties that one together, because that is a miracle nativity scene. That might be greater than Christ's birth, having the grizzly there. Maybe they were trying to prove that. I don't know, but it was truly, truly a miracle. Let me, why don't you turn to Matthew, the second chapter. You know, a minister needs his Bible. That is a really good thing to have. Um, Matthew, the second chapter. And you've heard this story. If you're new, uh, the Magi were uh, 
people that studied the stars. They were from Persia. Real quickly, the children of Israel go into captivity. They go and are taken by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire falls, and then the Medo-Persian Empire takes over. And that's where you see some of Daniel. Remember, Daniel lived most of his life in captivity. So he saw two empires. So Daniel uh, interprets a dream, and Darius says, you're my man. So understand this. Daniel becomes the head of the Magi. So 600 years forward... These guys probably heard the story from their great, 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 great grandpa about Daniel and how he told of a Messiah and the star and they're looking for the star. So they see the star and uh, they are looking. Let's pick it up in verse one. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, wise men from the eastern lands, probably Persia, I I added that. I'm sorry. It's not in there. Arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed. I'll bet he was disturbed. They just proclaimed him king of the Jews. So he didn't want to give up his king of the Jews. So uh, Herod was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law saying, where did the prophets say the Messiah would be born? He asked them in Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophets said. Micah, of course, in the fifth chapter says this. Oh, Bethlehem of Judea, you are not just a lowly village in Judea for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men asking them to come to see him. At the meeting, he learned the exact time where they first saw the star. Then he told them, in all sincerity, I'm just being, he's being very deceitful here. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may go and worship him also. After this interview, the wise men went their way. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. They understand Jerusalem, Bethlehem, there's probably 20 miles at the most, 10, 10 to 20 miles. There's not that far of a drive or, or a camel ride uh, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So very close. So uh, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, the star. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy as we are this morning. They entered the house where the child and his mother, Mary, were. And they fell down before him and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God bless the reading of your word. May, we, may it be applicable to this week. And may tomorrow be a day of joy, not because of gifts, but because of God's unspeakable gift, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. Uh, I'll be short this morning. Uh, You know, there's a lot of speakers that say that. And then it comes about one o'clock and you're saying, turn, turn that guy off. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Hunger sets in. Um, I, uh, as I was looking at this story, uh, I'm just going to say what what's probably common among scholars. Scholars would say there were more than three wise men. I know there are three gifts. Most scholars would say there's more than three. Uh, The reason they say that is because of the fear that was in Herod. Because three people would probably not put fear in Herod. There might have been a whole caravan of them. Theories go, and we don't know. And, you know, there's always that guy 
that gets you at the end of service. Pastor, this is what I believe. And you miss Christmas dinner because he wants to explain why there were absolutely three wise men. So there's always that uncle that wants to argue. The virgin birth, how could that happen? Uh, there's always somebody that wants to, wants to fight about Christmas. And I just want to build a bridge and love people and say, Jesus loves you. Ain't that easy when you're around relatives. Excuse me. So, uh, but, so this caravan comes and starts talking to Herod. Now, when they come to see Christ, remember, this is not like the manger scene where Jesus is there and everybody else is there and everybody gathers. It's, it's great to have them all there to remember that. But the wise men were not there at Christ's birth. This was after. So many people think at least 40 days after because Jesus circumcised as a Jewish young man after the eighth day. Then 40 days, Mary has to go through a purification process because of the law. So 40 days later, she has to go to Jerusalem. This is why I believe it's later than 40. What gifts do they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'll tell you this. What did Mary, what did Mary give in the offering? What did she do in the sacrifice? Sacrifice two doves or two pigeons. We don't know which. That is a poor person's offering. I'll guarantee you, if I received gold, frankincense is myrrh, I'd have probably bought a lamb for the Son of God. So I think they probably came a little later. Uh, they gave gifts. They gave three gifts. Gold. Royalty, the king, it signifies his kingship. We know that. I don't know if they realize what they were giving. It plays great in scholarship. Secondly, give frankincense from the Bosawala tree. It's a tree that, that develops this herb in the Middle East. Frankincense is the incense developing and saying he is our high priest. He's the one that stands between God and man to be the sacrifice for our sin. He is our high priest. He's the forgiver of our sins. He's the only one that can forgive sins. Remember in the Bible, they said, Jesus, you healed this person. That's nothing. Are you saying you can forgive sins? That's the greater thing, forgiving sins. You're the son of God if you can forgive sins. And that's why the Pharisees got angry with him. So they also bring myrrh, which is the strangest gift. Because a lot of people want to play prophet Priest, king, they want to make that. I, I, maybe many people believe myrrh, of course, was a, was a medicine. A, uh, uh, it, it was used for embalming many times. Now, remember in the cross, Jesus died and he is in pain. So they take wine and myrrh, dip it in a rag and take it to him so he can be soothed in his pain. But it was also majorly used as an embalming. Many people believe that they were signifying his death when they brought him that gift. Because you really don't want to have a child and say, hey, let me give your baby myrrh. You know, I mean, it's not something that you really give a gift to a child. Honestly, it's not. But I want to speak for just a few minutes about the greatest gift they brought. The first thing they brought was the greatest gift. Because it says in Matthew 2, in verse 10, when they saw the child, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child was and his mother Mary, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. I think the greatest gift they brought was the gift of worship. It is the greatest gift you can bring Christ this year. The greatest gift you can bring. And I'm going to say two things about worship really quickly. We won't be long this morning. Number one, worship 
Go to, if you want to go to John 4, Jesus is having a dialogue with a woman of Samaria. You're, as a Jew, you're not supposed to talk to Samaritans. He does. His disciples are surprised. But she said, I don't understand what you're talking about. We worship here on this hill, and you worship in Jerusalem. Where's the right place? Jesus said, you've got it wrong. You worship me. Because if you worship me, out of you will flow rivers of living waters. And he's trying to tell her that I'm the son of God. And then she goes in the village and tells everyone she met him. But he says something in that passage. He said... They that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. I believe worship happens when spirit touches spirit. Not, you know, I've been in a lot of great worship services where hundreds of people fell down and literally hundreds were healed. I've seen cancer fall off of people. I, I've been in some great services. Just because people jump and shout doesn't mean worship happened. You can have an entertainment service and still not have worship. And you can kneel down and be quiet and still not spirit meet spirit. It's not about ritualism. It's about has my spirit touched the spirit of God? Because that's what's different in us. We're not animals. We're not plants. We're not one with nature. The difference in us is... That we are a spirit that happens to be in a body and we have a soul. And our spirit is what makes us different because our spirit can contact God. And people that don't know Christ are spiritually dead. And God wants to make our spirit alive through Christ. And that comes through repentance and accepting him. So spirit touching spirit. The best way I can explain it is this. We had a service one night on campus. There's probably 100 students there. And, you know, you always have that person that's waiting for you after church and you're going, oh, boy, what did I say wrong? And the scholar's going to get me, you know, or the worship leader waits for you and said, how could you say? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so uh, how could you say that? Um, don't do it publicly. Just do it, pre- please. OK, so uh, we got that deal. So a kid's waiting for me after service. He's probably 21, 22. He said he was a senior. I'll never forget the night, Harold, because. He's standing there and he said, can I ask you a question? I went, I'm going, I've got to get home. Yeah, what is it? And he said, what was that? Pardon me? He said, what was that tonight? What do you mean? He said, no, what, what, what happened tonight? And I went, what do you mean? And it hit me. It's the first time he'd ever been in the presence of God in his life. He didn't know what it was. So he just... He did not know what it was. You know, when people walk into a service and you sing about the king and they sense something and they say, well, I don't know what that is. God's presence is here today. And it's, I'll talk about it in a minute. It's not only here. It's when you're in the car. God's presence isn't just regulated to a 30-minute period on Sunday morning. Even though you're great. I think I can worship without you playing the piano. I hope I can. You know what I mean? We all do. But I'm saying this, that young man for the first time has sensed, what was that? And he sensed the presence of God. And I said, that's the presence of God. He said, I really like that. And I said, I do too. So, you know, we, we, we were just, we were talking through it. And, and he was, he had never been in the presence of God. And he did not know what it was. But even people that don't know Christ when they're in it recognize it. Because they have a spirit and that spirit starts to, you know, rumble a little. So I'm saying worship happens. They bow down, but worship happens. You can be here and your mind could be on the golf course. I remember in Florida, we played every January. I'm not there anymore in Kansas City. But uh, 
But we used to have all us guys, and we'd go out January 1st as a joke and play golf because we never could in Kansas City. Um, but you can be kneeling. Uh, there's a little chapel. It's called, uh, in Kansas City, Kansas, over on 10th Street, it's called uh, Sisters of the Lambs. It's a monastery. You wouldn't know it's there. You couldn't find it unless I showed you probably. They have these little wooden houses like out of Colorado. You pull off 10th Street and you're going, where did this come from? These little houses. And there's two convents like this, one in France and one here. And I walked in one day and the sister came up to me and said, what are you doing here? I said, I really don't know. <laughs> she said, do you want to pray? I said, yeah. She took my hand and prayed with me. Beautiful prayer. And I uh, sometimes when I'm really wanting to seek God, I'll go down on 10th Street and walk into their chapel because it's really quiet. And it's like, I don't know how to tell you this, and, but I just sense God's presence when I'm there. I don't know how to say it any other way. It's just a beautiful moment. It's quiet. Uh, but you, you know, if you want to go, I'll take you sometimes. It's a great retreat for me. But just remember, the spirit isn't in clapping or hand raising or kneeling or meditation. You can, but, but worship really happens. It can happen in your car. Spirit touching spirit. Number two. Um, I believe worship is something that we cannot regulate to a 30-minute period on Sunday morning. I I say this all the time, and we all do. Hey, I'm going to go to worship. You can go to worship in your your living room. I was in a living room on Wednesday night talking to a group of young people that just have bought an orphanage in Haiti and a school. And they're doing this mission, and it's credible. And Haiti is in incredible unrest right now. They're flying down next week, and I said, you guys be careful, because gang members have taken over the Port-au-Prince, so you've got to be very careful. Their, their compound, so to speak, is on the other end of Haiti. So I was praying with them, and you know, we were in that living room, and I just sensed the presence of God. It was wonderful. I wasn't here. I wasn't in a worship venue, but I sense God. Don't ever regulate God to Sunday morning. He can be with you anywhere. Not, I know where one or two are gathered together in my name. There I am in their presence, but God is in the car with you driving. Now, don't be closing your eyes because I don't want to do a funeral. But I'm saying, let God deal with you anywhere. Amen? We need to take his presence out of here because that's what the early church did. They were gathered, they celebrated, but the power of the other church wasn't in the building. It was outside of the building. Take Christmas out of here. Come let us adore him at Quick Trip if you can get in the right car. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm saying that <laughs> I'm going to hear about that on the way home. Anyway, um, so I, I move on carefully. Um, so I've been in some great worship services, and uh, thankfully, been in some great revivals. Uh, Brownsville, been in some great things that have happened the last few decades in our country. I will say this. Um, there have been times, my first Christmas as a believer. So I grew up with an alcoholic father. So Christmas for us was coming home from the construction site with two cartons of everything from Jack Daniels to Seagum 7 to screwdriver to anything you could drink. I know those drinks because I saw my dad bury them a lot. Uh, or he drank them ferociously. Uh, so 
And he would bring them in, and all the brothers and sisters would come over, his family. And they would drink on Christmas Eve, and many, many, many Christmas Eves. I'd go to sleep and wake up, and my uncles would be passed out on the couch. And I'd have to move them aside to open my presents. And I remember when Jesus came to our house. And we got saved in an Easter service in April. I went home and led my mother to Christ that night. I said, you've got to hear about this guy. Who, Jesus? She said, I've heard about him. I said, let me tell you what this guy said. So I told her about Christ. And two months later, my father accepted Christ. And I remember that first Christmas, my mother was on the couch, and she sat there and cried and cried. I said, are you okay? She said, no, it's, it's great to have Jesus in our house instead of everything else. Yeah. My prayer for you is that when you wake up tomorrow morning, that Jesus will be in the house. That's my prayer for you, that it won't be about the presence. Because let me give you some hints. Every Christmas, whether who's ever in our house, we always read the Christmas story. You don't have to do that, but I do because I want my granddaughters will be there tomorrow and they will be foaming at the mouth to rip open everything they can. But, and, and you know, they're little, they're eight and ten years old, but I want you to know still that isn't the key under the tree. The key is that Jesus is in our heart, girls, and we read the Christmas story. Then we ask him, what are you thankful for? We eat a meal together and pray and we thank God. And I'm going to tell you, let me just tell you, during this time of year, I should have said this a few weeks ago, but I, I wasn't here a few weeks ago, but I'll say it now. Uh, I've got to remember, age is getting to me. Uh, I will say this, during this time of year, there's a reason my friend has six services in Oklahoma City and they're packed. People think about Jesus now on Easter. We do in America. You will be around family like you've never been around family. Some of you are saying, yeah, and I'm glad when family leaves. I understand how that works. Do me a favor. I talked to Brandon about this. We did, we did uh, breakfast yesterday morning. Don't, don't win an argument. Build a bridge. Oh, the virgin birth. I'm telling you. I'm telling you it's right. It's not right. And we get in arguments about and, and the virgin. The incarnation is not nitpicky. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's a nitpicky issue. That is one of the foundational truths of Christianity. But understand this. Please, I'm, I'm going to pray that God gives us grace over Christmas during this time when you see relatives you've never seen, that God would give you a spirit of bridge builder to say, let them walk across to Jesus. Let's not burn the bridge. Let's build a bridge. Amen. Yeah. Build a bridge. Build a bridge. And I'm praying that you can do that because spirit has met spirit and that this isn't your only worship venue during the week, that we haven't regulated God to a 30-minute period on Sunday morning. But Jesus is Lord every day of the week. And he can, he, I'll tell you what, he, for me, he needs to be Lord on Monday morning because Monday morning I'm saying, Jesus, I need you to be Lord. Because I know you've got to go to work and a lot of you have got to go to work with people that don't know Christ and you will be the only Christ they see. So I'm praying, not only is this a great year for our church, but this is a great day of celebration for us tomorrow. You know what? I'm going to uh, take communion now to end the service. I was going to do it before. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. She said, do you want music played during communion? I said, yes, because they don't want to hear me speak. They probably want to hear you play. Uh, thank you, Wendy. Uh, Joe and uh, let's see. Would you help me out, partner? 
Come on, help me out, you. Come on. You're George. Come on, George. I, I know, George, sometimes we forget our name, but you are George. I am George. That was great. That was my moments. Uh, let's, uh, let's distribute the elements, and then we'll, uh, we'll take communion together as a family. Uh, thank you for uh, understanding my warped sense of humor and uh, loving me in spite of it. Go on, and, go on and hand them out, guys. We'll get to it. Oh, you know, I, I need that, don't I? It's like the Bible. You kind of need this stuff. There you go. Thank you. Um, it's always uh, nice to take communion. I wish Gary and Cynthia here were the bishop were here today. I, I told him I'd take this service for him. I, I kind of love that couple. We've been out with them three or four times, and I'm thankful for him. Um, I'm going to read a passage to you out of 1 Corinthians, and Paul's talking about order at the Lord's Supper. And he says this, For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. Now, remember, Paul did not receive that from Jesus, probably, because Jesus has already passed, but he received it through revelation or received it through the apostles telling him. And he says this, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of the wine after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death till he comes. I probably have never told this story. I don't think Wendy's ever heard this story. I remember my mom, when she came to Christ, she was completely healed of a hole in heart, sleeping sickness. That's a whole other story. And I remember she felt like she was getting very sick. And uh, she felt what she had been healed of was coming back. And I remember we were taking communion. And I don't know why I said, I said, you know, God can heal you anytime. He can heal you during communion. We were sitting together and she said, you know what? I'll just believe God that he'll heal me during communion today. And I went, well, I can't, I can't argue with you. She went back to the doctor completely well. It's just, you know, it's God's miracles. He's great. He's, and, and, and I can't help it if you're here today and you're, you're dying of cancer and you pray and you're not healed. I don't understand it, but I know I will never stop praying for people to be healed. I will never stop praying for the miracle hand of God to move in people's life. Never. But today as uh, you do this, I want to pray with you. And I want to, I want, would you look at me for just a minute, everybody? If you're here today and you're saying, I don't get this church stuff. I'll tell you what, I've been in all my life and sometimes if people say stuff, I don't get it. Where did that come from? It's not from the Bible. But if you don't know Jesus in your heart, you can today. And uh, God loves you. He died for you. And he wants you to have a life. Filled with joy and filled with him. So I want to pray with you. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, today is your day. Forgive me of my sins. 
I want to understand you. Help me to have knowledge about you. I accept you into my life. Help me to have relationship with you. Send people my way that will help my walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said he took the bread. We do it as a wafer. And he said, this is my body. Thank God for a broken body of Christ. You can take it. Because I will tell you in that body, you will find healing. I remember talking to a person of another faith. And we were talking about Christ. And she said, and I didn't get in an argument with her. Boy, I held my tongue. You'd have been proud of me. Uh, She said, Jesus didn't die for me. And I went, whether you know it or not, he did. I can't accept that. And I remember she was angry and walked away and I prayed for her. Never seen her since. But I want you to know Jesus did die for you. And there's healing in the cross. There's power in the cross. Jesus died and shed his blood that people could be healed. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, I might have mentioned this at a high V. There's a girl that we shop in the high V on 95th and Antioch. You can come find us there anytime. But anyway, uh, we're there a lot. Uh, I remember a Karen who we know very well in the store had diagnosed with cancer. And Wendy stopped right there and said, Karen, I want to pray for you right now. I said, you know you're in high V, right? And she, and she just looked at me like I don't care. And I'm the pastor. So uh, we held hands and prayed for Karen right now. And she came up to us a few weeks ago, just two, three days ago, and said, things are going really well. Looks good for her. And you know what? We can take Jesus' healing power anywhere. It is here today for you. It is here today for you. It says in the same way that he took the bread, he took the cup. And after he gave thanks, uh, this, is the, this is the blood of my new covenant. You know what? It's, I know we don't understand this. Sometimes it's so hard to get this when you don't know God. We don't understand that when you, when you work, you get a paycheck. There are wages. Our sin has caused there to be, we have to be redeemed from that sin. And Jesus' blood brings that redemption. And I'm thankful for that blood today. I'm thankful that he died for me. I know it's many years ago. But every time I take communion, I think of the cross. And I think Jesus shed blood. And I'm thankful that he did that for me. Let's take together. Father, I thank you today is your day. It is so good to be with family. I know some people are here as guests and they came because mom wanted them to or dad wanted them to. And I know that feeling. I used to go to church when I was young because my mom would drag me to church. And I was eight, nine, and ten years old. And I thought, what is this? But one service I went to and I discovered and you revealed yourself to me. And I kind of understood that Jesus gave me purpose in my life and he died for me and I want to live for him. Today when we leave this room... I pray that joy, thanksgiving, and laughter will be the word for the day. I pray the joy of the Lord fills our house, God. 
Not just regular joy over watching a movie or opening a present, but I pray it's the true joy of the Lord that the wise men, when they saw Jesus, they rejoiced, that the shepherds rejoiced, that the angels sounded trumpet, that God the Father clapped his hands because my son is going to bring salvation to this world. You're the one, Jesus. And today we pay homage and give thanks to you. And we love you. And we will leave here joyful knowing that Jesus Christ is born today and we celebrate it. And God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful Christmas. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Or with this church, you have permission to talk for another hour. I know how this works. Okay, good. There it is. There you go.